Thank you for joining us today. For more information about the church, campus locations, service times, and more, visit ecoegt.com. Also, stay in touch with us on social media by liking us on Facebook and following us on Instagram, at ecoegt. Now let's repair our hearts as we go into the message. And, uh, just get into the presence of Christ. Well, tonight we're going to begin a, a, a brand new sermon series, and we're going to look at, uh, begin in 1 Thessalonians, and then uh, we'll go to 2 Thessalonians. Uh, it'll probably take the rest of the year. But uh, I love doing verse by verse on, on Wednesday night. I want to encourage you to just sit down one day this week and just read these eight chapters of First and Second Thessalonians. Read these chapters consecutively in one setting. And by doing so, it will help you get to the flow of the author's thought. It'll give you a better understanding as you study these books more in depth. Now, let me explain, especially to some that may be new to Glad Tidings, my approach to preaching verse by verse on Wednesday nights is to give uh, really opportunity to preach all of God's counsel. I think it's very important. That, uh, that as ministers, we preach all of God's counsel. And by going verse by verse in a particular book, the preacher is forced to preach on subjects that he or she may not, may not be of their own choosing. And by doing this type of preaching, it helps us as a church to develop more fully and, and, and to truly uh, develop richly in the Word of God. It helps us, I believe, foster healthy growth. And as a church, GT is committed to growth. We are committed to discipling new believers and equipping the saints for every good work. We are committed to growth, but not growing just any old way. We're committed to healthy, healthy growth. The Apostle Paul told Timothy, and turn there in just a minute, uh, turn to 2 Timothy just for a second, uh, chapter 2, verse 15. We're going to come back. We're going to start in 1 Thessalonians in a few minutes. Paul is writing to this young pastor in, in 2 Timothy, and I like how the King James translates it. He says, Timothy, study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed rightly dividing the word of truth. And this is our goal. Our goal is to study the word of God so that we can rightly divide the word of truth, that we can be a workman approved uh, unto the Lord. Amen? It's our goal as a church. It's our goal as, as believers. It's our goal as as students of the word, to, to rightly divide the word of God, to, to study, to show ourselves approved unto God, a, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed. It's our goal as a follower of Jesus Christ. This is our goal as a disciple of our Lord. So I believe that taking a book of the Bible and then going verse by verse gives us the best opportunity to accomplish this goal. I really do. It's our goal as a church 
to have healthy growth. As a pastor, what I'm looking for in, a, in, a, in our body, what I'm looking for in, our, in, our, in our, our church is mature believers of the word. That you become students of the word. That we are students of the word of God. And that we are followers who are being washed and sanctified by the word of God. You know, the, the word has a, has a washing effect. The word of God has a sanctifying effect. And when you get the word in you, it, it washes the old away. Sanctifies is the uh, theological term. It means to, to set apart. It means to cleanse and, and to, be, to, to be made right. It's a process. So the word of God sanctifies us. That's why it's important that we get the word in us. So I want to challenge you to, uh, as we're going through this book of 1 Thessalonians, and then we'll go to 2 Thessalonians, I want to challenge you, uh, during the week, study the Word of God. I mean, dive into what is so great about the, the age and day that we live in, the information age, is there's all kind of uh, a Bible study tools on the internet, all kind of things that you can access now free of charge that can help you dive into the Word of God and really study study his word. So let's, let's turn to our passage this evening. Go with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, and we're going to look at verse 1. We're going to do kind of an introduction to 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians 1, 1, it says, This letter is from Paul, Silas, and Timothy. We are writing to the church in Thessalonica, to you who belong to God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, may God give you grace and peace. Let's pause and ask the Lord's blessing. Father, we love you. We thank you, Jesus. We thank the opportunity we have, Lord, to, to study your word, to, to come and, and to take your word. And Lord, just to begin to apply it to our life. Lord, I, I pray that this won't simply be something we do in a corporate setting, but it'll be something we do in a private setting. Now, Lord, I ask that you'd open my heart and our hearts to receive and give us ears that would hear what the Holy Spirit is saying. And God, I pray that, that Lord, that you'll, I'll be able to communicate that which you've given me in a, an effective way this evening. In Jesus' name, amen. As you look at the book of Thessalonians, and you look at really the church there in Thessalonica, the first thing I want to talk about is a church that was birthed out of evangelism. A church that is birthed out of evangelism. It was actually the second missionary journey of the Apostle Paul. And you'll find this in Acts chapter 16 and Acts chapter 17. Matter of fact, in Acts chapter 16, if you'll back up a few verses, in chapter 15, there's a little dissension, there's a little bit of disagreement. Paul and Barnabas had been co-workers. Paul and Barnabas had been, and Barnabas was the one who introduced Paul, Saul of Tarsus. He's the one who had introduced him to the church leadership because many were very suspicious of Saul of Tarsus. They were very suspicious that, that his conversion was a plot, that his conversion was a, was a scheme. But it was 
Barnabas that, that really invested in Saul of Tarsus, we know him as Paul the Apostle, and, and really gave Paul his opportunity and also credibility to his ministry until time began to establish Paul's credibility. Well, after the Council of Jerusalem in chapter 15, uh, concerning what were the Gentiles to do, these Gentiles now being saved, are they to keep the, the Mosaic law? Are they to be circumcised? Are they to become Jewish before they become Christian? So there was a big council. There was a big discussion about that. And you'll find it in Acts chapter 15. Well, the, the, the apostles made the decision that, that they're not to become Jewish, that Christ alone is enough. Christ alone for salvation. They don't have to go and be circumcised and don't have to keep the law, but, but there were some things that they were admonishing them to do. Now, they commissioned Paul and Barnabas to take this letter back to Antioch and uh, to begin to, to share this with all the new believers and wherever they would go to plant churches. Well, Barnabas wanted to take John Mark with them. Now, John was or Mark was with them on their first missionary journey, and something happened, and Mark uh, abandoned them mid, midway through the missionary journey. It didn't set very well with the Apostle Paul. Barnabas wanted to take Mark back with them, and Paul did not like that. So let's pick up here, and uh, let's look at verse 30, 39, because I want you to see some conflict and, and, we, and how many know that conflict's a part of life? Conflict's a part, and it's not always pretty, it's not always good, but it doesn't have to be the end all, amen? It doesn't have to be the thing that stops what God is doing, because we know that God is good, and he's always working his plan, amen? So, I don't have my glasses, but look at verse 30, verse 39, Put it up there for me, brother, so I can read it from the screen, because I am not going to be able to read this. Look at verse 39, but 38, maybe it is. But Paul disagreed strongly since John Mark had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not uh, continued with them in their work. Their disagreement was so sharp that it separated Barnabas, and then Barnabas took John Mark with him and sailed to Cyprus. Paul chose Silas, and as he left, the believers um, and, uh, trusted him to the Lord's gracious care. Then he, talking about Paul, traveled through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches there. And I, I start there because I want you to see how the Lord works even through conflict. How the Lord works even in things that we think are or it might be bad, that we think that might be troublesome, that we think that might be even a, a, a difficult situation. But let me encourage you, if, if there's conflict in your life, do this, fall, fall forward. Fall forward. Do you, let me explain what I mean by that. You know, always allow it to push you forward to what God's doing in your life. Sometimes good people disagree. Barnabas was a great man. Barnabas was a man of God. Paul was a man of God. These were great men of faith, but they disagreed. And sometimes that happens. So you got to learn to fall forward. Barnabas took Mark, which was profitable, which was good. And what you'll notice 
back in, later in some other epistles like, like Timothy, when Paul writes to Timothy later in his life, he says, he says, tell Mark to come where I am because he's profitable to me. So that would not have taken place if Barnabas would not have taken Mark with him. So, so we see that God causes all things to work together for good to them that love God are the called according to his purpose. And then Paul took Silas. And that's what I mean by falling forward. Even though there was good disagreement, yet the work of God continued to move. So, uh, so another thing when it comes to conflict is this. Keep moving. Keep moving. Listen, Barnabas and Mark set sail for Cyprus to continue the work of the Lord is what the scripture says. And then Paul and Silas traveled throughout Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches there. So, so you got to keep moving forward. So it's in that scene, the second missionary journey begins. And it's during that situation where, where the church in Thessalonica was started. So really to set the scene of how the church was started in the midst of evangelism, I want you to look at Acts 16. I want to take some time to read this. I want to take some time. And I, I've asked them, we're going, to, we're going to read the first few verses. I'm going to put this map up here because it shows Paul's first missionary journey. So in Acts 15, I want you to see over here in Antioch, this is where they're returning from Jerusalem and they go back to the Christians at Antioch to take the letter. And then that's where the disagreement begins to happen. And then Paul begins to, in Cilicia, they began to, to preach and strengthen the churches in this area. And then chapter 16, you'll see Derb and Lystra. And these names will begin to pop up. So here it says, Paul went first to De uh, Derb and then to Lystra where there was a young disciple named Timothy. And it is there that he's introduced to this young man who becomes a protege, who becomes, uh, Paul becomes his mentor. Matter of fact, Timothy is highly recommended to him. And Paul picks Timothy up here. And then they began a journey. So here's Luke is with them because he's, he's writing uh, the book of Acts. And, uh, and then we also have uh, Silas, who was with Paul. And then they pick up Timothy. And as we read chapter 16, you'll begin to notice some of these names. And they began to do ministry in this area. But it, and they had intention to go down into the Asia area, where you see the city of Philadelphia and things like that. But it says that the Holy Spirit prevented them. The Holy Spirit stopped them. Now, we don't know what happened. We don't know how the Holy Spirit stopped. We don't know if it was a feeling Paul had. We don't know if it was a, 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 a prophet among them that said, hey, don't do it. We just know that he says the Holy Spirit prevented them. So let's pick it up and let's look at uh, down in verse 6. Next, next, Paul and Silas traveled through the area of Phrygia and Galatia, because the Holy Spirit had prevented them from preaching the word in the province of Asia at that time. So the Holy Spirit, and I want you to see, I want you to take notice where these men, 
Paul was being led by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is opening doors and the Holy Spirit is closing doors. And I think it's very important that we understand that there are times when the Holy Spirit will shut some doors in our life and we got to be okay with that. When, when the Holy Spirit shuts a door, we got to quit trying to unlock that door. We got to quit trying to open that door and we got to trust what the Spirit of God is doing. We got to trust God's kindness. We got to trust God's goodness. We got to trust God's wisdom. So, so we're not told how the Holy Spirit just said the Holy Spirit prevented them. But we are we come to the understanding that that Paul held high esteem as to the Spirit's movement in his life. So let's read down a, a little bit further. Then coming to the borders of Mysia, they headed north for the province of Bithynia. But again, the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them to go there. So instead, they went on through Mysia to the seaport of Troas. So here, they're trying to do ministry here, but the Holy Spirit begins uh, to... to shoot them or, or direct them a different way. He is stopping them, so they began to make their way to Troas. So the Holy Spirit begins to shut a door, but they're still moving forward. They're still moving. They're still doing activities, still going. See, a, a shut door does not mean you sit there and just do nothing. A shut door simply means, you know what? I'm going to keep doing what I know is right, what I know I'm supposed to do, until the Holy Spirit shows me something else. So the Holy Spirit gives more specific direction. Now, this is where it gets really interesting to me because, because God had a plan and he's looking, the Holy Spirit is looking into Macedonia. The Holy Spirit is looking to a region where as yet to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. I mean, you know the region, you, you, you know the story of Philippi, the church of Philippi, the Philippians, the powerful revival that took place there. We know Thessalonia. Now we have the letter, the Thessalonians. We know the powerful church that was established there. But up to this point, Paul knew nothing about that. He just knows the Holy Spirit is preventing him. A door is being shut. So he's just traveling on until he gets further direction. They get to Troas, and then we're going to pick up here. Look at, look at chapter 16, and look at verse 9. That night, Paul had a vision. A man from Macedonia and northern Greece was standing there pleading with him, come over to Macedonia and help us. So we decided to leave for Macedonia at once, having concluded that God was calling us to preach the good news there. <clears throat> Having concluded, it came to the conclusion, there were many discussions, but many thought there were going to be good opportunities, but the doors were shut. And then when they get to Troas, there's a vision that takes place, there's a dream that happens, and in that, the Apostle Paul sees a man in Macedonia basically saying, Come here. And, and, and Luke writes that, that Paul says we concluded 
that the Spirit of God was leading us to Macedonia. So they boarded, and now it says, next Paul and Silas travel through area Phrygia and Galatia, and now go down to verse 11. We boarded a boat at Troas and uh, sailed straight across to the island of Samothrace, and the next day we landed in, in ne, uh, Neapolis, and from there we reached Philippi. So here they are, they are at Troas, and right here in the middle of the ocean, in the Algean Ocean, between Nepopolis and Troas, there's the island of Sumatras right here. They sail past that island, and they land in Neapolis, and then they travel to Philippi. And as you read chapter 16, you began as when they get to Philippi, and they go to the, to the riverbank, and they find Lydia, a group of women, and, and they began to, to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then she invites them to a house. She believes, and her household believes. She invites them to stay at their house. And, and then they're doing ministry in Philippi. And, and remember, there was uh, the girl who was possessed by an evil spirit, and she was like a fortune teller. And, and she kept following Paul and kept saying, you know, oh, these are servants of the Most High. And finally, Paul was just irritated, and he cast out he cast out the demon, and then suddenly the master of this girl realized his prophet was all gone. There was no ability for him to get, get that because she'd been delivered from that evil spirit. And then there was a riot. They threw them in jail, in the Philippian jail. They put him into the inner. And then at midnight, Paul and Silas are praying, worshiping, singing. And what happens? The power of God comes down. And, the, and, the, and the, the, the doors of the prison open, the chains fall off, and the guard who thinks that everybody has escaped gets ready to, to do himself in, and, and, and Paul and Silas say, stop, stop, we're all here. And then he dials down, what must I do to be saved? And then he brought them home, washed their wounds. He and his household were saved, and they were, they were baptized, became followers of Jesus Christ. And the church of Philippi was birthed in power. It was birthed in a great, a great move. But then it tells us, as you close chapter 17, or chapter 16, it says a mob quickly formed, verse 22, and it's going to that. Let's go down to the last part, into verse 38. When the police reported this, the city officials were alarmed that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens. Because the jailer came back and said, hey, they're all sorry for what they've done. They want you just to leave. They want you to get out. They're going to let you go. And Paul says, what do you mean? They beat us like this. We're Roman citizens. And then they began to freak out. They began to get upset because they realized that they've overstepped their boundaries. And then it says in the last few verses, verse 39, so they came to the jail and apologized to them. Then they brought them out and begged them to leave the city. When Paul and Silas left the prison, they returned to the home of Lydia. There they met with the believers and encouraged them once more. Then they left town. So here they are in Philippi, and then they leave town, and they head, head down this path, this road, which uh, the Romans control all this area. It was a major highway uh, in that day. And then we pick up in chapter 17, Paul and Silas then traveled through the towns of, 
of Amphipolis and, um, and then came to Thessalonica and was there, there was a Jewish synagogue. It says, as was Paul's custom, he went to the synagogue service for there, was, there were three Sabbaths in a row and he used the scriptures to reason with the people. He explained the prophecies and proved that the Messiah must suffer and rise from the dead. He said this, Jesus I'm telling you about is the Messiah. Some of the Jews who listened were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, along with many God-fearing Greek men and quite a few prominent, prominent women. So here they arrive in Thessalonica, and what does Paul do? He finds a Jewish settlement. He finds a Jewish community. And he finds a local synagogue, which tells us that Thessalonica was a thriving city at that time, and they had a, a, a pretty good Jewish population, and they had their own synagogue. Now, notice verse 5. It says, but some of the Jews were jealous. They were jealous because, because people were being saved and because the people were beginning to follow this Christian doctrine. So they became jealous. They gathered some troublemakers from the marketplace to form a mob and start a riot. They attacked the, the home of Jason, searching for Paul and Silas so they could drag them out to the crowd. Not finding them there, they dragged out Jason and some of the other believers and instead and took them before the city council. They said, Paul and Silas have caused trouble all over the world, they shouted, and now they are here disturbing our city too. Jason has welcomed them into his home. They're all guilty of treason against Caesar, for they profess allegiance to another king named Jesus. And the people of the city as well as the city council were thrown into turmoil by these reports. So the officials forced Jason, the other believers, to post bond, and then they released them. Now, I read that because I want you to see how this, this church in Thessalonica was started. It was started because of a missionary movement. It was started because of evangelism. It was started because the Spirit shut doors one, one place and then opened the door to a new area, a new season. And what, when God shuts a door, there's always going to be another open door of greater effectiveness. Hear me, greater effectiveness than you've ever known. Greater effectiveness than you've ever experienced. Greater effectiveness than you have thus far experienced. Now, I read these verses because I want you to notice some details or characteristics of Paul's evangelism. There's some things that we can learn from this, I think. I want you to notice there's consistency. Notice verse two, as, as was Paul's custom, he went to the synagogue service and for three Sabbaths in a row. It speaks of consistency, as was his, as was his custom. Whenever he went to a new place, he looked first of all for a synagogue because he was going to go there and he was going to begin to hold conversations. And for three Sabbaths. So, so in evangelism, it takes consistency. Now, I also want you to know this in verse 2. He says, he used the scripture to reason. 
So the word of God was the focal point of his evangelism. The word of God must always be our focal point when talking to others about Jesus. Amen? God's word. Now, it says he reasoned with them. Didn't say he argued with them. We have a whole lot of people that like to argue. We have a whole lot of people that want to argue with the world, want to argue why they're wrong, argue why, why, why they're going to experience the wrath of God, going to argue Scripture. Paul didn't argue with them. He reasoned with them. Now, I looked up that word reason, and it means this. It means to hold conversation with. It means to discuss a question with another. It means to elicit conclusions by discussion, by conversation. It means to speak articulately. It means to know what you know, what you're talking about. Child of God, you got to know what you believe and why you believe it. And the only way you can know what you believe is if you study God's word. You've got to get into God's word. You've got to study God's word. As Paul was telling Timothy, in another occasion in that same letter, he says, don't let anybody despise your youthfulness. You've got to study. You've got to study. And, and, and we've got to be students of the word. We've got to learn how to, how to reason with the world, reason with unbelievers. We've got to learn how to take them from a conversation of where they're at to what God wants to do in their life. So you've got, to, you've got to be able to speak articulately. It has nothing to do with arguing divisively for the sake of arguing. It is to speak persuasively. Now notice, no, notice this. So it's consistency, it's, it's the word, it's scriptures, it's, it's reasoning. And then, and then Paul explained. Look at verse 3. It says, he explained the prophecies and proved that the Messiah must suffer and rise from the dead. Explaining the truth, explaining the word of God. And then it, the atonement, the death, burial, and resurrection, how Christ must suffer and rise from the dead, it was the central of their message. It was the central of Paul's evangelism. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ was central to Paul's witness. And the cross must be central to our evangelism. The cross must be central to what we share with others. I want you to listen to an evangelism story from our own church. Just this past weekend, Saturday, uh, we, we had an event. Uh, we do it once a month. I love my city. It was an outreach this past Saturday. 18 people from GT went out into our community. And, and guess what? Out of they, they prayed for over 38 people on Saturday, just holding conversations with them, and they prayed for 38 people. Out of 38 people prayed for, there were 14 people who prayed the prayer of salvation. Isn't that something? Isn't that powerful? It's engaging people. It's, it's going to the synagogue. It's that consistency. It's showing up, and it's, and it's reasoning with individuals. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 5, Paul said this, But you should keep a clear mind in every situation. Do not be afraid of suffering for the Lord. Work at telling others the good news. 
Listen to what Paul told Timothy. Work at telling others the good news and fully carry out the ministry God has given you. Now, you may be uh, more accustomed to the King James, where the King James puts it this way. Do the work of an evangelist. Timothy, do the work of an evangelist. And we as a church, we have a responsibility to do the work of an evangelist. Paul and Silas on this missionary journey, they were doing the work of an evangelist. Now, let's look just for a few moments. I want to give a brief overview of the book of 1 Thessalonians. It is is a letter written to young young Christians. So so Paul is writing this letter back to this church that he, that he, Silas, and Timothy have planted. He, Silas, and Timothy have started. And there, and there are young believers. There are, there are young church. In chapter 3 of 1 Thessalonians, verse 12 and 13, Paul writes this. He says, may the Lord make your love for one another and for all people grow and overflow, just as our love for you overflows. May he, as a result, make your heart strong, blameless, and holy as you stand before God, our Father, when our Lord Jesus comes again with all his holy people. A major theme of 1 Thessalonians is a simple follow-up letter to new converts. And one major theme of this letter is, is the return of Christ, the coming of Jesus. Now, some of the background and purpose of this letter, Paul and Silas and Timothy founded the church in the city of Thessalonica, the capital of Macedonia, on Paul's second uh, second missionary journey. Paul was anxious to learn how these new believers are progressing in their Christian lives because we read in Acts where they were kind of forced to leave because they were thrown in jail, you know, and they, 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 they then arrive in in Thessalonica, and then they're reasoning with the Jews, and people are being saved, conversions are happening, I mean, prominent people are following, and then the Jewish people get real jealous, so they stir up a a riotous mob and some troublemakers, and now they're kind of forced to leave in a hurry. So, So Paul wants to know the status of this church. So as you look in in Acts chapter 18 and and following, you'll see that Paul sends Timothy back to Thessalonica to find out what's going on. So Paul's letter to 1 Thessalonians is a response to the report that Timothy has brought him. So he speaks of the second coming of Christ in this letter because undoubtedly among these new believers, there was questions about the coming of Christ. What's going to happen? When is, it, when is it going to take place? Has it already taken place? And they're asking. So, so you'll find in this letter that Paul is addressing some of this. So as he speaks of the second coming of Jesus, he speaks of it in verse 10, chapter 1, as an inspiration for new Christians. And then in chapter 2, verse 19, as a stimulus for Christians to serve God. Because one day we're going we're gonna to stand before Christ. And in chapter 4, verse 18, as a comfort for the bereaved Christians, those who have lost fellow believers, fellow Christians who have died before them, 
as, as a comfort to those who are now living that, hey, we're going to see our loved ones again. If they died in Christ, we're also going to see them. And then chapter 5, verse 23, as an incentive for holy living. So as we look through second, our, our First Thessalonians, we'll begin to talk about some of this stuff, about the coming of the Lord and, and how this is to really, not, not to create fear, but to create excitement and encouragement uh, and motivation for service and motivation for, for, for living a righteous life. The author of this, we know, is, is the Apostle Paul. As he opens up, he says, he says this comes from him, Silas, and Timothy. They are like three voices talking as one. And a basic outline is chapter 1 through chapter 2 is the greetings and exhortations. And in chapter 3, Paul rejoices over Timothy's report. In chapter 4, there's an exhortation to Christian conduct. And, and then in chapter 4 and chapter 5, teaching about Jesus' second coming. And then chapter 5 has closing exhortations. Now, real quick, there's some keys to 1 first, first Thessalonians. A key word, and you'll find it more so in the King James than you do the New Living. The New Living will kind of use it as, as be made holy. Uh, but the King James uses the word sanctify. It's kind of a key word here. There's also a key teaching that God's at work in the life of those who have come to believe. God's at work in the life of those who've come to believe. And, and, and Paul is reminding these believers. Because listen, persecution, there's been contention. There's been, there's been hardship. And Paul's reminding them of the call of God. He reminds them of the word of God. He reminds them of the will of God, of the peace of God, and the faithfulness of God. And I want you to hear this tonight. God is faithful. You may have faced some tough times. You may have gone through some uncertain. You may have walked through some conflictual things. We all have. We all have. But hear me, God is faithful. Romans 8, 28 is so true. And if we'll keep the right attitude, if we'll keep the right spirit, if we'll keep the right mindset, God will produce good in your life no matter what comes your way. Because hear me, every circumstance has to bow to the King of Kings. Every circumstance has to bow to the plan and purposes of God. Every circumstance has to come. This is what I love. This is what I love about taking a book and just begin to open it up and really see what the Holy Spirit is saying to us. Real quickly, I know it's getting late, so give me just a few more minutes. Look at verse 1. I want to end with this. Whose you are. Remember whose you are. Who you belong to. And in verse 1, it simply says, letters from Paul, Silas, and Timothy. We're writing to the church at Thessalonica. To you who belong to God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. To you who belong to God the Father. The letter is from, as we, as we said, it, Paul is the author, but he includes Silas and Timothy in the address. Whose you are. Paul is telling these new Christian believers who they are and who they belong to. He's reminding them of the great promise of who they belong to. Can I remind you the words of John Jesus and John's gospel. Listen to this. Listen to this in John 1 verse 12. 
But to all who believed in him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. I want you to know who you are. I want to know whose you are. <laughs> You're children of God. Verse 13, they are reborn not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but from a birth that comes from God. Whose are you? God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. You belong to him. You are his. Now, there's something comforting about that. There's something refreshing about that. If I belong to God, then he's got my back. If I belong to God, then, then I'm covered. I'm protected. If, 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 if I belong to God, then guess what? He's going to help me. Max Licato, the author and pastor, writes this. He says, what is the secret to survival in enemy territory? What is the secret to survival in enemy territory? He says, remember what God has done. Record his accomplishments in your memoirs. Don't forget a single blessing, he writes. Create a trophy room in your heart. Oh, I love that. Create a trophy room in your heart. Write it down. Journal it. What God has done for you. Keep a record of what God has done for you. Each time you experience a victory, place a memory on the shelf. Before you face a challenge, take a quick tour of God's accomplishments. Ooh, I like that. <laughs> before, before you face, in each time you experience that, a victory, put it on the shelf. And then when you face a challenge, take a quick note, a quick review of what God's done. John 1, 12, yet... All who did receive him to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Max Licato says, live out your inheritance. You are loved, redeemed, and filled with the Holy Spirit. You have the power of God in you to fight any battle you face. The secret of survival in any enemy territory is remember what God has done, remember whose you are, and rehearse those things in your mind. <laughs> I can imagine as Paul is facing some uncertainty in Thessalonica. As things are happening, miracles are taking place, people are coming to salvation and suddenly there's a mob of angry, jealous troublemakers and they're chased out of town. I imagine I imagine there were some tough moments. But on the shelf of his memory, he could go back to being where God shut doors. And then he arrived at Troas. He had a vision of a man calling him, come over here. And then he remembered, this is why I'm here. There's going to be challenges in your life. But there's going to be a whole lot more victories because of whose you are. Because you belong to the King of kings and Lord of lords.
In the next few weeks and months, we're going to open up 1 Thessalonians. We're going to break it apart. We're going to go verse by verse. And we're going to see the miracle-working power of God. And here, as we see the birth of the church in Thessalonica in Acts 17, just a few verses there, we're going to unpack that, and we're going to see how God can take a little and he can make much. And what was a setback really was a repositioning and a launching pad to greatness. So hear me, what looks like a setback could be simply a launching pad to something greater. Let's give the Lord a clap offering, amen. Can we stand together? Can we do that? Can we take a moment, just lift our hands and just give God thanks? Isn't he good? Isn't God wonderful? Thanking that, that he shut some doors in your life. Thanking for those shut doors because hear me, he was keeping you from something. Hear me today. God is doing something. He'll shut the door, but he's going to open something else. And Father, I thank you for shut doors in our life. I thank you, God, Lord, because a shut door simply means you're going to open something other, something better. And we learn from the Apostle Paul, and we learn from Silas, and Lord, we learn from Barnabas, and we learn from Mark, 